This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Clifford had the, the burden to pray for me there this morning. And one of the things a missionary never does is when they, never, when they come home, they never tell you about what's going on at home. Um, but when you're on the front line of a, a mission field, you're on the front line of a battlefield. And it's always, for me, it's always a pleasure to serve, but there's always, uh, there's always, uh, what's the word? There's always opposition. There's always opposition. I'm not joking here. Sometimes the amount of things that would happen, and especially in the run-up to me coming back to Northern Ireland to, to cast the vision, to share the work, uh, to raise funds, the, the amount of stuff that would happen in a month, I tell you couldn't make it up. That's the truth. Sometimes I quit. I don't even put it on Facebook anymore because people think you're one of those trolls that just make stuff up. It really does get that bad at times. Um, and sometimes it's not even one thing a day. Sometimes it's three or four things a day. And uh, Just to give you snippets, we've just survived uh, the biggest typhoon ever to hit the city of Baguio. Just hit there a week and a half ago before I left. Uh, our children's homes and our home and the recovery unit, um, especially the children's home, was 12 days without power. 12 days. 25 kids, 12 days. Only miss. There's only so many times you can play hide and seek. <laughs> There's only so many times you can get the UNO cards out, you know. But 12 days with no power. Um, also, because Baguio is the region, and we're 5,000 feet above sea level, that's where all the vegetables are growing and sent out throughout the Philippines. Um, so because it, was been, it has been so badly hit, um, thousands of people have just lost their livelihood. It's just gone. In one huge, massive typhoon, it's gone. Their rice, their vegetables, their homes. Uh, literally, some of the, the homes of some of the children that we have helped were just, were just blown away. The roofs blew off first, then the walls blew off. And that's it. They were left with nothing. Surprisingly, there were very, very, very few killed this time. Um, and one of the reasons for that, because in Yolanda in 2013, there were over 7,000 people killed. But one of the reasons that there were so few killed this time is because the president did an excellent job at getting the word out. He'd really announced it, that there was a super typhoon coming and we needed to batten down the hatches. We needed to buy groceries, get gas stocked up and be in our houses and not be going out and I think people really obeyed this time because they knew from experience last time that it actually had cost so many lives so we have just lived through that and somehow I'm grateful because the typhoon two years ago or three years ago for us we I remember phoning my dad I says dad you just need to pray for us there's a typhoon and uh, our house is starting to flood um, I started packing up the house. It was two o'clock in the morning. We Caleb had woke up and he shouted, Mom, our house is, is, is uh, it's got water inside. I said, yes, love, it's raining. He said, no, it's really got water inside. And when I went downstairs, it was ankle deep. I thought, this is going to move quicker than I can move. So we bombed up the stairs. Um, we all started throwing her just enough to do for a week or two into a bag. Um, we, Mark and I come up with a plan. I got the kids into one of the cars and uh, and a few of the cases. Mark, he took the other car and went to rescue me, Grace and baby Rafa and different ones at the time. And we went our two separate ways. By the time we were driving the, dri the car out of the driveway, it was knee high. You know when it's up above your tires and you're thinking, for goodness sake, I'm pretty sure the manual says don't be driving it when the, when the water's up over the tires. But I'm thinking to myself, I gotta get these children out of here. So, I started driving through and I went my usual route. By the time I got to it, the, there was a fire engine stuck in it, halfway filled with water. I knew I wasn't getting through that way. Asked God for his wisdom, drove down the back road of the market. And I remember driving down and uh, I remember the kids were saying, Mommy, are we going to be okay? I'm like, yes, we're going to be okay. And just with that, a piece, of, you know the crinkly tin? What's the proper name for that? corrugated iron or whatever it is came flying towards me 
like I'm telling, I'm driving here. This is my windshield. I can see this crinkly tin coming like this. It flew off somebody's roof. You know when you you do uh, just this prayer of Lord save us. That's all you've time to say. And it, it went up over the top of the car and away. Caleb said, "Whoa, that was close, Mum." I'm like, you're not wrong, son, that was close. And I'm phoning Mark saying, Mark, get those children and get out of here as fast as you can. Don't be hanging about. Don't be, just fill the car with whoever's standing and, and go. Uh, we managed to make it up to CRU. And actually, just as, as uh, one of the other members of staff had done the same, and just as they had got up, um, they, the tree, the massive, massive, thousands-year-old tree came down like that and blocked our last path. So we all get in safely. Our house ended up neck high in water. Neck high. So this year, even though we had no power and no electric, just to not have neck high water was already amazing um, and you end up being thankful for the small things but that's just one of the things that's been going on there's a, about a million other things happening too so I really appreciate your prayer and um, the Lord definitely I believe will do something while I'm here I believe it um, okay it says I'm just going to do a bit of a recap what I did on Friday night so for those of you who are here I'm sorry for those who didn't I'm going to share it with you and then we're going to talk about some other stuff. So in James one twenty seven, it says, Religion that our God, our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In Psalm 68, it says, He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of the widows. It says that God sets the lonely in families. A lot of what I'm going to tell you this morning is exactly about that verse, how God truly does set the lonely in families. As I said the last time, for the last 17 years, I've been defending the orphans, protecting the weak and helping the oppressed and bringing sick, uh, healing to the sick and to the brokenhearted. And it really is by the grace of God. And there's times where you think back and you think, how did I even end up here? How did this even happen because I remember sitting there listening to the stories I remember sitting there thinking well maybe someday I'll do something for the Lord but it something has to switch within you you have to get to the place where something something changes within you something gets you out of there and up onto your feet dad and I were just talking this morning I said why is it that sometimes we have an idea in our mind. We think about something, oh, it would be good to do that. Maybe like Wilson and the Cross, oh, that'd be a good idea to have a, a cross, must do that someday. And sometimes it gets as far as here and we speak it out. I was just thinking, Pastor, it'd be a good idea to have a cross someday. Good idea to maybe stand this street. The trouble is, the majority of us seem to have a blockage around here somewhere because it gets from here to here and it never gets any further. It never, never arrives at our hands, certainly much less to our feet. And sometimes I think that that's the issue that we need to deal with. What can I do to get the compassion of God from here to here to here and to here? The passion of God and the compassion of God is something that as you, as a believer, if you're a Christian and you know and you love Jesus, you say that you have Jesus living within you. You say that he lives within me. So his compassion is within you. So if his compassion is within you, my question to you is, how does that reflect outwardly? What do you do to show that the compassion of God is in you and it is alive and well and flowing. This morning I'll share to you about the work of helping hands <clears throat> but I'm very aware that that's not for everybody. All of us can't be called to go to the Philippines. If we're all called to go to the Philippines there'll be nobody left here. I'm very aware that there are a million other ministries that are absolutely fantastic all over the world including right here at home. Excellent homegrown ministries. My goal this morning is to inspire you to get the idea that came to your mind. Maybe it was many years ago. Maybe it was many weeks ago. Maybe it was very recently that the Lord gave you a thought. I'd love to inspire you this morning 
to get that thought from here to here to here and to here. This morning as you watch the video, I know many of you have seen this a few times, but honest to goodness, it's not until you watch it a few times that you see the half of the stuff anyway. So as you watch it this morning, there's a few things that I want you to watch out for. And I want you to realize that all of the children that we have helped in this have been children that the Lord has brought our way. We're very aware of that. We're very aware that there are hundreds of thousands of children in the Philippines. But the ones that we have helped are the ones that God has brought to us. That's another thing about compassion. It's having the opportunity to help those who are brought to you. Because if I hear this one more time, well, you can't help everybody. That's a horrible old Northern Ireland phrase. Well, you can't help everybody. Well, you can help one. For goodness sake, you can help somebody. You can't use that excuse, well, you can't help everybody. The Lord didn't ask you to help everybody, but he certainly asked you to help the one that he brought to you. Do you remember the message you preached out about who has he placed in your basket? Do you remember that? Who has he placed in your basket? This morning, you're going to see a snippet of who he has placed in our basket. Do we get it right every time? No, we do not. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we miss the boat. Sometimes we run out of patience. Sometimes we are stretched to our limit on patience. And then we have the grace of God. And he comes in and he restores and he reminds and he gently gives you a good dig sometimes and says, come on, I brought this one to you. Just a wee bit more. Another wee bit of patience. Just, just another wee chance. So this morning I'm going to tell you about a couple of them. Uh, and then I'm going to share, actually, because I had done already one last night and because some of you had heard it in May, I'm going to go through a few of the other children as well that we've helped in the last year or two and give you an update because this is what you have given towards. This is what you have sowed into. The girls in the charity shop in Dollingstown, the girls in the charity shop Moira, um, those who have given for the shoe boxes, those who have been under tables digging out shoe boxes, and those who have been uh, constantly sewing into the ministry every week in your wee envelopes. I'm telling you, this is where it's going. So this should do your heart good this morning. So guys, if you're ready with the video, what I want you to look out for is this. There's a wee boy on the bike. His name is Ethan. And you'll see him um, on a little red bike and he's pointing and he's waving at you. Going to come back and tell you about Ethan. I also want you to watch out for Stanley. I'm telling you now, you better get your handkerchief ready for when I tell you about Stanley. That child blows me away. He is the little boy in the yellow t-shirt in the hospital scene. He has a, a bandage on his head. Um, you'll know him when you see him, and I'll come back and tell you more about him later. And then I'm not going to share about Jurica yet, but I'm going to come back and tell you some of the others if we can get the photographs working. But for now, we'll get the video up and running. As I always say, we put the bit on at the end because it's just amazing to me that in the midst of the suffering and in the midst of the death and the dying that we would face on an everyday basis, there's still so much joy. Did you see the joy in their faces? It was so funny, you know, Leonard had just finished doing all the video and, <clears throat> and our theme for this year was He Knows Your Name because there's something very powerful about the thought that the God of all the universe knows your name, Amen. that you're not just... You're not just another number. You're, he knows your name. He knows you. Um, especially for an orphan. Especially for someone who's been rejected by their family. And very often they, don't, they still have a name. A name that belongs to their family. But actually they're not part of that family anymore. So there's something very powerful about the thought that the God of all heaven knows their name. And that's why I'm also very strong when... When families come to be forever families for our children, they come to adopt them, to take them home. I have them well-worn before they even get here. Now, you should go ahead and add a middle name, but don't change their first name because their name is their name and the God of all heaven knows it. That's already who they are. So you can go ahead and add a wee middle name. You can go ahead and change the family name because they desperately want to be part of your family. But their first name, that's their name. That's the name that the God of all heaven knows them by. Because some of the parents will say, but maybe they don't really have a, um, like, a, what's the word with that name? Like a connection. I'm like, no, they know. Because they know that when the God of all heaven thinks of Ethan, he thinks of him. When he thinks of Marco, he thinks of him. When he thinks of Melanie, he thinks of her. There's something about the God of all heaven knowing their name. 
Ethan, the little boy on the bike, waving at you from the bike. Ethan came to me the day that he was born. I'll never forget, we got a call from the hospital to say that <clears throat> a little boy had been born uh, in a toilet in a public market. His mummy was very unwell, did not even really realize or understand that she was pregnant. She just lived on the streets and she wasn't maybe in the best of mental health um, from years of living on the streets. And she had given birth to this wee boy, head first down the toilet. And it was only because somebody else heard the thud and heard a cry that they knew that this wee boy had been born. So they'd scooped the both of them up, brought them to the hospital to us. And <clears throat> I remember when, when, uh, when we went in to see him, he was just gorgeous. He was the tiniest wee thing, though. He was minuscule. But he was as strong as anything. And I remember he stayed with us in Helping Hands for the first six months because our ministry is for sick children. So we kept him for as long as we could. But when it came to be that he was strong and healthy, we had to move him on to the next uh, step. And that's the hard part, you know, for the children. It's very difficult to have somewhere that's forever, somewhere that's really home. Because it seems to be that for most of the majority of children in care, wherever they are in care, nowhere seems to be forever. Foster families are not permanent. They're not forever. Children's homes close, funds dry up. People only want to give to a project. They don't want to give to ongoing uh, funds. They don't want to keep places running. They just want to they just want to do a project and then they back out. So. So many children's homes closed down all over the place. And, and it's so difficult for the children because the one thing that a child needs is stability. The one thing that any of us need, really, is stability and security. Horrible feeling to wake up in the morning and not really know what lies ahead. I know that for, for many of the businessmen, even here at home in Northern Ireland, there was a, a bit of a, a crisis there a few years back and businesses were struggling and homes were being lost and things were going under. And, and if you can cast your mind back to that sinking feeling that maybe even you felt, if you can imagine that from a child's perspective, where they literally just don't know, you get to the point where they don't even know who really am I? Who am I? And that's why I was saying there's such a, 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 an importance that comes with knowing he knows your name. Ethan, we moved him at the time. We didn't even understand the whole thing about attachment. We didn't really understand bond. And all I knew was that we were home for very sick children. And when, when sick children got well, they had to move on to back to their own families or back into long-term children's homes. So we'd moved him to a home that we knew had been on the go for years. But sadly, a couple of years after we moved him to it, um, they ran out of funding. They had to close down. And this precious wee boy, once again, for the second time in his life, was being rejected and was being moved on. So a home called Ship took him in. And Ship had him for about uh, another four years and, and they loved on him and, and he became part of the ship family. So he'd been, he'd been part of the help his mum's family, then the biological, then the, the helping hands family, then the Hope House family, then the ship family. And it just seemed to be that everything was just constantly moving and changing for this wee boy. And as you can imagine, that begins to take its toll on a personality. That begins to come out you begin to see little issues arising. You begin to see little problem behaviors coming up, things that you weren't expecting to see. But it, you know what? It just stems from this insecurity. It stems from this feeling of, but who am I? And who really loves me? Because people say, I love you. And then they leave. People say, you're my favorite. But then they don't take me home with them. I don't understand it. This is what his wee mind's thinking. You say you love me. You say I'm your favorite, but you're not taking me home with you. You leave me here every day. It's the most difficult thing to watch. He'd been in ship for about four years and ship had to close as well. But the sovereignty of God and the grace of God 
ship had called us and said, look, we need to close our children's home. Would you prayerfully consider taking over? Of course, Dad and I had been talking about needing to start a children's home because by this stage, you know, I'm a bit slow at times. It took me a lot of years to realise it. But by that stage, I had caught up and realised that actually we as helping hands need to have a long-term facility for children who are who don't have a home to go to, for children who can't be reunited with their families. Some of the children that we had taken in, families had died in the meantime. Uh, I think one child, Ira, her mother had an ectopic pregnancy and died. A couple of months later, father took a stroke. I had no home to send her to. I've still got her. She's been with me for 13 years. And um, there really are some children that there really are just no homes to send them to. Others had came out of horrific abuse. We took them in because they were sick. And it was maybe only when they got to us and got to trust us that they began to open up. Or they maybe did something and we went, oh, wait a minute, that's not good. Now, where did you learn that, sweetheart? Oh, me and daddy do that all the time. Or, oh yes, Tito, uncle. Oh, uncle always says that that's okay. That's our game, that's our secret. Suddenly you're left with this disastrous moment where you realize, I can't send this child back. I'm not sending them back. I've had a few over my dead body arguments with social services and the police. And I mean, literally, I've said, you'll take them over my dead body. They're not going back. So by the grace of God, he made a way for us to have our own children's home. And I could almost not believe it when in walks Ethan. There he is. After all these years, he's gone full circle, came the whole way back. That wee boy waited for a family for years. The paperwork was done, a family was chosen, and he was so excited. He was telling everybody, I'm going to live in Australia. My mummy is a policewoman. My daddy is a farmer. My brother is like this. I have a kangaroo. <laughs> he kind of lost that bit of interpretation. What we told him was there were many kangaroos in Australia. Somehow that interpreted to him as, I have a kangaroo. <laughs> so I just kept saying to the staff, well, I'm sure there'll be one skipping along there somewhere. Hopefully there will be. His daddy's a farmer. There's bound to be kangaroos bouncing about somewhere. So Imagine this child had taken this into his heart. I'm going to Australia. I'm going to be an Australian. This is my family. We got his passport. We did his pictures. For six months, he held this photo album every day in his hands. He was beyond excited. His behavior had improved 100 million percent because suddenly he felt like he belonged to someone. I'll never forget the day we took him down to do the medical visa because you got to get a visa stamped on your passport to get into another country. We took him to Manila. We did the visa. We got a horrible phone call. The phone call said, did you know that Ethan has something wrong with his blood? You know, one of those, I'll not say which one it is, but you know one of those illnesses that you dread to hear that you have contracted? He had contracted it. And I remember thinking, oh, Lord. Now, if this was me, I would be... I would be expediting the procedure. I'd be getting them here doubly fast, but not all families think the same. And on New Year's Eve that year, we got a horrible email to say, I'm really sorry. The family say they live too far away from a hospital and they've backed out. They can no longer proceed with the adoption. I tell you, we didn't even have words. We literally had no words. Um, we It took us another about a month and a half to process it ourselves for us to be able to, to share it in a gracious way, non-bitter. Because I'm telling you at the time, I, all I could think was bitter thoughts. I was so angry at them. I felt rejected. How much more would this, would this wee pet feel? By the grace of God, we shared it with him and he was so disappointed. For months after, other families came to collect. Their children, families came from Austria, family came from Italy. Because um, we've placed children all over the world. And one of the families that I had chosen from Austria that came to pick him up, as soon as they arrived, he went up to them and he said, um, are you here to collect Margie? He said, because I'm going to Australia. Is that the same as you? Because they were Austria. Do you know my mum and dad? And they looked at me as if, what's our answer here? Uh, we distracted them. I explained it. Do you know they actually cried? 
the, the couple crowd, they said, how could anybody turn him down? I said, to this day, I do not know. We left it with the Lord. I began to pray. I remember one day, Ethan's behavior was just getting worse and worse. He started to bite people. He started to spit. He was starting to, to shout and wreck things. And he's only seven and he's tiny, like super duper tiny. And he was small but terrible. The staff used to say, oh my goodness, he's small but terrible, madame. He really was. And it was just getting to be where the school were sending him home half day every day. The teacher says, look, we can stick him in the mornings, but by lunchtime we're, we're pulling our hair out. Can't can't get anybody else taught. You'll have to take him home. So we persevered. We sent him in every morning. He'd come home every lunchtime. Um, I think he actually just thought that was his school schedule. It just became so normal for him to come home at lunchtime. Thankfully, we had a very patient German volunteer at the time who would sit with him and patiently go through and homeschool him in the afternoons. And I remember one day in particular, he had done an absolute wobbly, as we say in Northern Ireland, a total hissy fit. He was just going berserk. And I remember bringing him into my office and I was going to barge him. You know, sometimes you have to give a good barge if you're Northern Irish. I was going to barge him. What are you doing? And I says, you can't be getting on like this. This is terrible. What is wrong, son? Why are you so angry? He said, I don't know, Mummy Claire. I don't know why I'm so angry. I don't know why I'm so angry. And I said to him, is it your family, son? He says, yes, they did not come for me. They did not come for me. And I says, son, you and I need to pray. Let's get on our knees and ask the Lord to send you the right family for you, a family that will love you forever, a family that will never reject you, a family that will never let you go, no matter what you say and no matter what you do. Let's pray for that. I'm going to do a Paul James, blow my nose. And you know what? We prayed, and it was taking time. You know the way sometimes when you're a believer, you, you pray for something and you think, it, when I pray for it now, you see the rules are it should happen later today or first thing in the morning. Or, you know, sometimes we're not the best at patience. You know, we're not great at delayed answers, are we, if we're being honest? And that's us as adults. How much more so if you're only seven? But we began to pray. And it just became the culture of our home to talk about that. Because literally every day, um, Elma would come up to me, uh, uh, Marianne would come to me, they would say, Mommy Claire, uh, did you find my mommy and daddy yet? Oh, I says, I'm still looking. Give me another wee bit of time. And every day, Ethan would say the same thing. Mommy, when's it my turn? I says, Ethan, let's pray specifically. What do you want to pray for? He says, I want a mummy and a daddy and a grandma and a grandpa. No, I want two grandpas and two grandmas. And I'm not sure what color I want my door to be. I says, let's not talk about the door because I don't know if it can be that specific. But as Joyce would say up in her shop, we'll put the order in with the Lord. We'll put the order in and we'll see what happens. And do you know what? The Lord heard the cry of Ethan's heart because he knows his name. And just a few months back, Exactly as Ethan had prayed for, a pastor, which is what Ethan had prayed for, and a, his wife, who is a homeschool teacher, which is exactly what we had prayed for, came forward with their five daughters and their one son to adopt this wee boy. They knew all the issues. We don't give a glossed up version in our folders. We give the truth. Because if you're going to parent a child, you need to know who this child is. You know what I mean as a parent? It's hard enough. You can parent your own child because you know them and you know rightly when they're, you know, you just know everything about them. So imagine when you're adopting in and they've already got a wee bit of uh, age with them. You need to know the details. We put it all in there and still this family said, we are committed to this child. Just about three weeks ago, Ethan had his first Skype date with his mummy and his daddy. I'll never forget it. He sat on my knee. There's actually a picture of it. Oh, it's round the wrong way. But anyway, this child sat, that was me, my bad uh, putting up. This child sat on my knee and he, he said, oh, hi, mommy. Hi, daddy. I don't think they were expecting that. They were like, whoa, because they knew the history. They knew how many times this child had been rejected. She emailed me the next day. She said, what time did you tell me we're speaking again next? To be honest, I never heard a word. She said, all I saw was this precious child 
sitting on your knee, snuggled into you. You're calling him pet. And she says, my grandparents are Irish. She says, they used to call me pet. And she says, I'm sitting there going, oh my word, this Irish woman's got my son on her knee. She's calling him pet. He's snuggled in. He's not fighting back. He's calling me mama. He's calling him daddy. He's calling the big brother Kuya and the sisters Ate. And she said, I'm sitting with the tears running down my face, trying to keep it together so I don't appear like a train wreck on my first Skype date. And she said, I'm sitting there and my heart is so overwhelmed. She says, I was not even expecting that he could open his heart to us as quickly as that. And I told her, that is the grace of God. That is the grace of God. And I told her, do you know, when we ask people to pray for our children, we ask them to pray very specifically. We ask them to pray for their hearts. We ask them to pray for God's protection over them. And I tell you, your prayers here on a Thursday night and in that corner, wherever you do it now, downstairs, the Lord hears it out with us in the Philippines because I can honestly testify to it. There's no way in the world that that child's heart could have been so open and, and not, because you know the barriers that go up? You know yourself sometimes when you've been hurt, you tend to put a few walls up. Can you imagine this child must have lived in a complete fortress? complete fortress but no as soon as he heard that he had a family just in that moment the Lord softened his heart and he was I, he was so excited do you know a funny thing happened I said goodbye to all the children there on Sunday because I was leaving to come here and somebody come up and tapped me on the shoulder they said mommy Claire because I'm mommy to 60 kids at the minute mommy you need to come down the back Ethan's really sobbing so I came down I said sweetheart what's wrong and he jumped up into my arms, legs around me, sobbing. I'm telling you, it was dripping. Um, he says, Mummy, do you have to leave? I says, sweetheart, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back in six weeks. He said, how many weeks is six weeks? I said, it's six Sundays. Don't ask me, I'm thinking how many sleeps that is. My maths really sucks and I don't know if I'll be able to work it out quick enough. He says, I'm going to go home and I'm going to make a paper. And on this paper, I'm going to write six Sundays and then I'm going to tear one off every time. I says, that's a great idea, sweetheart, that's a great idea. So we got him pacified, we got down to the car. He was roaring again and I was going home. I'm roaring too and my children are saying to me, Mommy, are you okay? And, I, and my aunt says, Mommy, did that take you by surprise? I says, it did. Because do you know why? Only a child who has attached to somebody would be that moved with compassion that they would cry at the thoughts of being separated from them. Do you know many years I've prayed that this child would be able to attach to a new family? And the Lord reminded me, you prayed for it, you asked me for it. Uh, we In case conferences actually recently... About a year ago, we had decided with Ethan and Elma, they were going to be my two. So every day, we were going to work on the children that were finding a hard time to attach. So every day, I would take them into the office in the afternoon. I'd be sitting doing my work. They would come in, play my phone. Mommy, can I play your phone? Yes, love, you can play my phone. So they come in, and they've got Subway Surfer, and all the games I've got downloaded on the phone. Mommy, can I eat your candy? Yes, you can eat my candy. So I have my candy jar, and they come in and have their candies, play my phone, uh, come for a wee snuggle, look on my computer, and I have their faces as my screensavers. So when they come in, they say, Mom, is my face still on your computer? Yes, sweetheart. Would you like to see it? Yes. Why is my face on your computer? Because you're my favorite. Am I really your favorite? Yes, you're my favorite. And then Elma comes in. Mommy, where's my face? There's your face on my computer. Am I your favorite? You're my favorite. Everybody has to be somebody's favorite. Everybody has to be somebody's favorite. You're the favorite of the father. Did you know that? You're the apple of his eye. That's what we tell them as well. You're his favorite and you're my favorite. Will you pray for Ethan? I would say it'll be about six months or maybe a wee bit less, maybe five months now, before he finally gets to go on that long trip to America. He's going to live in Maryland, Gaithersburg. Can you pray for him? There's no kangaroos. And I'm kind of glad for that because it's a good separate break from what he thought he was going to to what he is going to. So can you pray for that wee boy? You'll never forget his name now. Sure you'll not. His name is Ethan. Did you see the young boy in the yellow T-shirt with the bandage on his head? 
the day that we went to make that video, that was the first day that I met him. And we were going around the hospital that day and the video guy uh, follows me around and he says to me, now I want you to, to lift this child and I want you to do that. And I look at him and go, Leonard, look, whatever happens, happens. You just keep your video running and we'll just see what way it goes. And he goes, I all right then. Um, so there was this one time we walked into the surgery ward and there that wee boy was sitting and he greeted me with a big hello. And I says, hello, son. And how are you? He says, I'm good. And I says, what's wrong? And he says, I've got a brain tumour. And he says, but they've just taken it away. But he says, um, but I can't see very well in one of my eyes. And I said to him, well, would you like me to pray for you? He says, yes, I would. So I began to pray. And I was praying for this wee boy. His name was Stanley. He was 13. And the funny thing was, Stanley wasn't from a Christian family. So it wasn't like he'd been Pentecostalized and he kind of knew about prayer lines and you have to bend down and check if your back works and all this. He didn't know any of that. All he knew was, here was this woman coming along and she was going to be praying for him. So I prayed for Stanley. And as I finished praying and saying amen, I opened my eyes and Stanley was doing like this. As mommy says to him, what are you doing? He says, I'm checking if my eye works. She prayed for me, he says. And I thought, this boy has faith. You know that measure of faith? But there's an extra measure of faith that this child possesses that I have not seen in a long time. I remember straight away I told the mom about recovery unit and I invited Stanley to come and stay. He says, I would love to. He says, I'm fighting himself. His mommy's sitting thinking, well, I haven't had a say yet. He says, no, I would love to come. He says, uh, what is it called? I says, it's called the Children's Recovery Unit. That's where children come to get better. He said, I would love to come and get better there. So about a week later, Stanley came to the recovery unit. And literally, in no time at all, we had led him to the Lord, led him in the sinner's prayer. And he'd, he'd asked Jesus to come into his heart. And it was the most genuine transformation I've seen in years. This wee boy with complete childlike faith just said, Jesus, I need you. I need a savior. I'm a good person, but I need to, I need to have my sins forgiven. I want to go to heaven. Um, and I want to live for you. I want to make a difference with my life. So Stanley accepted the Lord, and over the next few weeks and months, we just watched this child bloom and blossom and grow. And I remember one day, though, we, we noticed that his speech had changed. We noticed that something had happened, something had altered. And we noticed that he was just speaking a wee bit differently. And um, there was just, uh, there, was, uh, uh, it, there was something different. You know when you just can't put your finger on it, but you just know in your nowhere that there's something wrong. So we, we phoned the hospital and they told us, um, get a CT scan. So we did a CT scan and it showed that there had been, uh, there was another mass in the brain. But they said there was water in it this time, so it was probably an abscess rather than there's tumour, but it had grown in the same place. We need to get it out fast. I don't know. We always get those calls on the weeks where we've no money. You know, the week before he sends, we're like, for goodness sake, why does it always happen on these weeks? They said it'll cost you 120,000 pesos. 120,000 pesos is about 2,000 pounds. I'm thinking, I don't have 2,000 pounds. Stanley says, don't you worry, the Lord will provide. We says, right, let's get praying, Stanley, because we need to get you down to Manila. Now, usually we don't put them and send them to Manila until we've got the money ready. But this boy had the faith. He was like, Mommy Claire, you don't need to worry. He says to Janet, Mommy Janet was crying because she's his wee pet. Mommy Janet, he says, you don't need to worry about me. I told you, Lord's going to heal me. Friend going to be a pastor. And he says, so you don't need to worry about me. He's 13 like. And Janet says, he was serious. He looked me in the eye and says to me, don't be worrying. I'm going to be a pastor. So, he says, we said to him, do you want to go to Manila for your operation? Yes, he says, because that'll help me to get well. We said, right, get in the ambulance the way you go. So we sent them in the ambulance and I went on Facebook, which I don't usually do, um, and asked for help. And straight away, a man in America that we have never met, a Filipino actually, who lives in America that we've never met, came straight back to me and said, I'm going to send you 60,000. He says, how much is that in relation to what you need? I says, that's half of what I need. He says, Claire, I wish it could be more. I says, Mark, I'll listen, that is already huge. The Lord will bring the rest in. Sure enough, the next morning, a man that we had met, again, another Filipino man that we had met months before, uh, sent a check through friends, and it was for 
60,000. So Stanley had arrived in Manila, had his surgery, and we had the money to pay for it. He got his surgery, he came home, and uh, just uh, not long after he came home, there was another young fella who had came in. And this young fella's name was Sherman, and he was really unwell. I mean, he was literally dying. We knew that he would be with us just for a lot of days. It was just hospice-type care we were going to do for him. And, and you know... That's hard on the team. But the other side of it is, you know that you're doing something that's going to last with the family for a lifetime and that you know that you're making their last days absolutely amazing. So in comes Sherwin and Stanley with his boldness says, he's the sweetest child too. He's not, he's not rude or strong or anything. He's just sweet. You just couldn't not like him if you tried. So Stanley goes in and he says, Sherwin, can I pray for you? And Sherwin says, okay. So Stanley's praying good Pentecostal prayer with his hand in the air and he's praying for Sherwin and he's asking the Lord to touch him and then he stopped and he says Sherwin do you know Jesus Sherwin says what do you mean and Stanley says do you know Jesus as your saviour have you ever asked Jesus into your heart and Sherwin says I don't really know what you mean so Stanley explained to him what it is to have Jesus in your heart, how you need to have Jesus in your heart because you need to know where you're going, especially if you're going to die. So Stanley told him about Jesus. Then he told him about heaven, told him he didn't need to be afraid. Do you know what? Sherwin accepted Jesus into his heart and two days later, he went home to be with the Lord. At 14 years old, two days later, he went home to be with the Lord. The faith in that wee boy put us to shame. All our staff were all tiptoeing about. Sometimes you don't want to offend. Sometimes you're not too sure. But like we all have that urgency, especially in the last days. But there was something about Stanley. He's actually got a little video message for you. We just sent him away for six uh, six weeks of radiotherapy. And it cost an absolute fortune. Well, it was an absolute fortune to us, but it was about just over a thousand pounds for six. That's probably cheap for here. like, But for a thousand pounds was a lot of money for us for six weeks every day, 15 minutes a day, radiotherapy. And he just got home and they sent me this wee message the other day. Hmm? It's in the pro thingy, Majiggy. No? I'll show it later. What he said was this. He just said, thank you to everyone. He said, for praying for me and thank you for helping my radiotherapy. And he said, and God bless you all. And there he is. And he's got the jerks, you know, because he has this wee brain tumor. So sometimes he's got a bit of a jerk going. And he's asked us actually to pray for that because he says that it makes him feel tired because he always is moving. Uh, He asked for prayer for his jerks and prayer again for his eye because after the second surgery, the eye began to reduce again in power. And he says it'll be very hard to read his Bible to be a pastor if he can't see properly. So that was one of his very specific prayer requests. His name is Stanley. Listen to this. A girl, another missionary, her name's Sarah Henderson. She's out in in Children's Garden in the Philippines. She said this on her Twitter recently. The word compassion is derived from the Latin words pati and come, which means to suffer with. To suffer with. Compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter the places of pain, to share in the brokenness, the fear, the confusion, and the anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of the human being. Compassion requires involvement to get out of my own world and to join those who are suffering, to walk together through trials and pain. I want to live a life of compassion just like Jesus did. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Isn't that beautiful? When action meets compassion, lives change. When action meets compassion, lives change. The Billily boys, I don't know if the pictures are working, so I'll just show you it from here. But Marco, it may be working up there, but Marco, 
Marco is the brother of Emmanuel. Do any of you remember the story of Emmanuel, the wee boy in the Muslim community that we find? Remember, he was literally, I was just walking through the community. We were doing our medical mission. I shouldn't have been there, but there we were in the middle of the Muslim community. We saw 453 patients that day. And actually, Emmanuel's picture's up there too, Tony, the, the very, the Emmanuel before. Um, we, we found the baby that day. That child was turning seven months old. He weighed three kilos and he did not yet have a name. She hadn't even named him. She had not even named him. Do you know, most pregnant mothers have their child named before it even gets there. You have names in your head, you're rattling through, uh, you've got your favorites. This boy was seven months old and had no name. There was not a shred of love in her heart for this child. She was just waiting for him to die. He was lying on a hammock when we found him. When I read Sarah's post, I just remembered about, it says about just walking through the pain with them, walking through the streets. That day we walked through the streets. We were stamping on raw sewage. We were, we were in a dangerous place, a place where it is not physically safe to be. But your compassion brings you there. That's what I'm saying about when it moves from here to here to here to here. There's something different about it. Once you, once you start moving in compassion, once you let the action take over and you start moving in compassion, it's never the same. It changes everything. We walk those streets, we find that child. Because we find that child, we find the whole family. Fast forward two years, two and a half years. I now have his big brother, Marco. Um, I have Emma, and that's Emma now. Look at that child. From that skin and bones dying to this three-year-old sumo wrestler. I'm not joking. Rough and tough is an understatement for this wee boy. You, if he's common, you better get out of his way. You see, in Ireland, when you flash your lights, it means go ahead. In the Philippines, when you flash your lights, it means get out of my road. I'm common. Emma's lights are always flashing. He's just like, you just need to move on a side there and just let him tear on through. But we were able to rescue this child, literally bring him back to life because he was dying in her arms when we rushed to the hospital with him that day there was barely breath left in him he was three kilos at six seven months old no name covered in bed sores covered absolutely he still has his wee scar actually on his elbow he still has his wee scar where his bed sores were but we were able to rescue that family him and his big brother marco uh and that's them doing their arts and crafts. And another little baby, his name is Jacob, came along about a year later. Hopefully he'll be the last, he better be the last. Um, but those three boys, literally just yesterday, yesterday, Marco finally got his CDCLATA, which is the certificate declaring legally available for adoption. Suddenly I have all three of them are cleared for adoption. We've waited because the two little ones were cleared already a good seven or eight months ago. And I kept saying to Marco, but Marco, don't you want to be adopted? And at first he kept saying, nope, nope. He said, I have a mama. But you know what? The reality was the mama wasn't coming for him. She actually had no heart for him, none at all. And none of us ever could say that to him. That's not something that you ever want to hear said. So we just never said it. What do we do? We hit our knees. We ask the Lord to change his heart. We ask the Lord to do it in such a way that it wouldn't rip his heart out, but that he would change and that his heart would come around. And one day we were talking about adoption and we were talking about one of the wee ones that was about to get adopted. And Marco was there when the family came. And he saw the big send-off party and he saw this family come in and wrap their arms around that child, take that child home with them. Then he saw it happening again and then again because we had one to Italy, then we'd one to Austria, then we had a little one going off to Ohio, then we had a big boy who was literally about to age out and not even be adoptable anymore. He was already 16. He went off to the US. Then we had a 15-year-old girl go off to the US. Finally, he comes up and he says, Mommy Claire, when's it our turn? When's it our turn? I says, so, sweetheart, would you like me to find you a forever mommy and daddy? You and your two brothers? He said, oh, yes. 
So we have prayed for this because the two little ones were very easy to get cleared. But Marco, his religion is listed on his birth certificate as Muslim. So I'm sharing stuff with you this morning because these are the things that I need you to pray for. This child is listed as Muslim. Muslims don't adopt. It's not, it's not in their culture. It's, not, it's just not in them. They don't do it. And I know I'm going to hit issues when I get to the Intercountry Adoption Board with this wee boy. So I'm going to ask you in the next few months to earnestly pray that somehow an exception to the rule will be made and that this child will be able to be adopted. Then start to pray for the family who are already out there. This is a family who have already started their journey probably about three, possibly even four years ago, they started putting in the papers and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. They don't even know, but this is who they're waiting for. Oh, they're probably frustrated to death. They're probably, you know, binding the devil and ask the Lord what's taking so long. And they don't know this is what took so long. And all I can tell you is this, he's worth the wait. That child is worth the wait. Pray for Marco and Emmanuel and Jacob, because the Lord will need to ready their hearts to be a family. Can you imagine how that would be, that you'd never actually been part of a family? You'd never operated as a family. Then suddenly you lived in a children's home with 25 other children, and you had 10 mummies and two daddies, and you didn't quite know what a, a normal, regular kind of a family looked like. So pray for this child. It says in Daniel 11, 32, but the people who know God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Do you hear that? For the people who know God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. I want to carry out great exploits. I don't want to be here lies Claire. She had a beautiful garden. Here lies Claire. Her caravan was spotless. Here lies Claire. She supported her football team to the end. No. I want it to be here lies Claire. She did great exploits. She did great exploits. The people who know their God shall be strong and shall carry out great exploits. As believers, our actions have to follow our words. You know, as believers, we often get a bad rap. Because sometimes what gets said is we, we, we're all talking no action. We're all talking no action. And I want to encourage you this morning never to fall into that trap. Never to let it be something that just gets past your lips and no more. Never let it get something that's just past your lips and no more. We have one life. One. That's it. We only get one go at this. Yes, family are important. Yes, your, your job's important because you need it to live. Yes, your home's important because you've got to spend a lot of time there. But nothing is more important. Nothing is more important than God. Nothing is more important than reaching somebody for God. There's no point if you're well and all's well with you and you get to heaven, if you have neglected the people that the Lord brought right along your path. There's children that come to us at times and sometimes we know it is because of the children that the Lord has brought them our way. But there's other times we know it's the family. Sometimes a wee one comes to us and they're okay. They're not well. And we, you know, you get rid of the worms, you pull out 46 worms or whatever from them and oh, it's gross and you get over it. But there's something else. You just know that you know that there's something else. And suddenly you open your spiritual eyes. You say, okay, Lord, what's this really about? Okay, 40 worms, got them out. Well, there's something else. So what is going on here? And suddenly the Lord opens your spiritual eyes and you see something way beyond what you were presented with. And suddenly you have the will of God on a, on a matter and you say, aha, that's why this person was brought to me. It didn't seem like a good fit. It didn't seem like somebody that I need to help. If I get my manual of operation out, they're certainly not included within my clientele because we're all registered, you know, with the social services, we get our license, accreditation, we have to show up at all these formal meetings. Everything's very formal in the Philippines. Like we have more licenses and accreditations to renew every year than I don't know what. So sometimes you could you could very easily get caught up with the, the formal side of it and the clientele and, and pushing your numbers and doing your case management and making sure 
And then sometimes you go, okay, Lord, setting all that aside, though, what is your will for me today? Who am I supposed to minister to today? I, we've had people show up to donate, to donate. And they've come in the door, and the Lord has whispered to our hearts, the way he did with you this morning, Tefford, that's who you have to minister to today. And you're thinking, well, Lord, they just came to give us a, a McDonald's party. You know, they came to take 100 million pictures and put it on their Facebook and feel good about themselves. Yes, yes, yes. Let them do that. Just ignore it. You minister to them. We've had families come in like that over the years. And it literally, literally, we've been able to change their lives. And it could only be the Lord. I remember this one young fella. His name is Joshua. If you can give me Joshua before, it's two young boys side by side. There's a young guy come in, his name was Joshua. And Joshua, the wee boy on the left in the blue, Joshua came to us in December 2010. But since August 2010, he'd been so unwell that he had lost the ability to speak. Lost the ability to speak. As in nothing, no words came to us in December. So by December, he already couldn't speak for months and months and months. So everybody had pretty much taken it for granted that it was gone. The speech was gone. He wasn't walking. He wasn't talking. It's a horrible word to use, but some people say he's like a vegetable. That's the word that people would say. Stinking word, but that's the one I know that you know what I mean. And along came this youngster. And I love Marissa, you know, because she just never gives up. She is absolutely brilliant. Marissa is one of our team of 50 missionaries that we have. So Marissa gets this boy and she's like, Joshua, I just know the Lord's got plans for you, son. She speaks it over him all the time. You know, the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, the Lord has plans for you. He knows them, Joshua. He knows the plans he has for you. They're plans for your good. They're to prosper you. They're not to harm you, Joshua. They're to bring you home in the future. She's speaking the word over him. She, she would bring him in in the big... It was just a big push chair. It wasn't even a proper wheelchair. She would bring him into the devotions every night. She would just minister to him. She would constantly just be declaring the word of God over this child. And one day, Ronald, the other wee boy, who you can't see in that picture, but you could see it in the video. Ronald has a big brain tumor here in the back of his head. He was in for hospice care. Ronald brought him up. It was almost Christmas. He says, Nanai. Nanai means mother. Nanai Marissa. I have, a, have something special for you for Christmas. By this stage, we'd got him on his feet. Have something special for you. She says, what's that? He says, turn on your phone, put your video on. So she put her video on. He said to Joshua, Joshua, you say, hello, Nanai Marissa. And Joshua spoke, hello, na, and he would say, na, nai, nai, ma, ma, ri, ri, sa. And then he would laugh. Wouldn't he laugh, Mum? I showed her the video the other day. He'd laugh and laugh and laugh. He couldn't believe it himself. His words had come back. This child had literally lost his power to walk, his power to speak. And then the compassion of God and Marissa, that just that dogmatic sense of I'm not giving up on you, son. There's something in you. She kept going and she kept going and she kept going until he came back. Last Saturday, just before I left, we had family day. And what we do on family day is we invite people to come and to, to just give thanks to the Lord for what has happened in their lives over the years at the recovery unit. We had 22 families show up. 22 families. I know how far, who had to come the furthest to church this morning? Who probably drove the furthest? Let me see. Belfast people have just left. Maybe Portadown, maybe be about the farthest, would it? Some of these families came six and eight hours away. Six and eight hours. Just to cut. Remember, I told you, in the middle of the typhoon, literally the rain stopped on Friday night, early hours Saturday morning. We did the family day on Saturday. The rain stayed off the whole time. And have you got that picture of Joshua and Sawi? Where do you see this big boy on the right, on the purple? He came back to give thanks. That is that wee boy who just got his voice back. Do you know he's in grade seven? They said that he just won his math competition. They said that his life is absolutely transformed. See this young fella? He fell off the top of a bus. 
cracked his skull open. When we got him, same thing, couldn't walk, couldn't talk, has a big hole in his head where they removed the skull. They showed up that day to give thanks to the Lord. I challenge you this morning, be active in your actions. Be active in your actions. Put feet to your words. Go to the broken. Bring food to the hungry. How many people are sitting in this community who need somebody to put their arm around them and listen to them? Joyce's shop, listening to the broken. Not everybody has to go abroad. If the Lord puts it in you to go abroad, if the Lord puts it in you to go and serve, go and serve. But my challenge to you this morning is this. Meet somebody's need, not just in lip service, not just in a thought in your mind, but put actions to your thoughts. Once you see them, once you hold them in your arms, everything changes. It's never the same. Let's change the course of people's lives together for the glory of God. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for being a constant support. That's 17 years now that MPC has backed me and supported me. I remember standing here 17 years ago and being commissioned to go. And at that stage, I was being commissioned to go for six months. Had no idea that 17 years later, I would still be out there. Had no idea that we would end up with three children's homes. Uh, 50 staff, 60-something children, and the hospital ministry, and husband and six children of her own. Didn't know that, didn't see that coming. But the Lord knew. And because I had put feet to my actions, action met compassion, lives began to change. So for your support and for the difference that you have made to this ministry, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. May God bless you this morning. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.